Uh, my name's Lou, and I'm very happy to be here with you today. Lots of stuff happening today that uh, I've been praying for, we've been praying for, dreaming about for a long time. And we're seeing God answer stuff that uh, sometimes felt like it was just a dream. So I'm happy to be here. I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, I want to pray before we start with our scripture this morning. Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you, Lord, that you are strong. Thank you, Lord, that you are loving and good and kind and wise. Thank you, Lord, that you brought us here. Thank you that you brought us here for a purpose, to experience your presence, to hear your voice, to know your love. You brought us here to uh, shape and transform and change our lives. And we pray that all that would happen today. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. And I pray that you'd open up the scriptures to to each of us this morning. I pray that you'd help me to uh, say what you want me to say. That you'd fill my mind and my mouth with your words. And I pray for each of us that uh, you'd help us to receive what you want to say to us, what you have to say to us. So Lord, uh, be powerful in our midst. Be glorified in our midst. And help us to welcome you in every way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We started a new series this past week called Long Story Short. You can see it on screen. And uh, what we're going to do is take six weeks to kind of give a massive, big overview of the story of the Bible. So we started last week with the beginning. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and God breathed his spirit over the creation. He spoke creation into existence. He spoke creation, and creation came to be. And we talked about that last week, the, the glory, the beauty, the purpose of creation. And we talked about the role of humankind in creation, what we were meant to be in creation. And uh, we ended by saying it was shalom, God's word, God, God's shalom, God's peace, the peace that, that is a perfect peace, a wholeness, an integration to all of life, all of reality, all of creation. That's what God created. It was good. I mean, it was way beyond good. And God looked at it and said, yeah, that's right. Now here's the thing. From the point of God's perfect creation, his shalom, to where we are right now in this world, there is an absolutely mind-boggling disconnect. Because what God created in the beginning and what we see today, now, is so incredibly different that you might think that God has left this earth. And so today what we want to talk about is how did this happen? Why did it happen? And what does it mean? And to do that, we're going to look at uh, 
mostly Genesis chapter 3, but I'm going to begin with chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Here in Genesis 3, we kind of get the story of what happened to God's beautiful, good, whole creation, how it got so broken. We're going to talk about why it is that even in our most precious relationships, people who love one another, why is there still so much pain and sorrow and hurt and harm done in them? We're going to talk about why is it, how is it that something that was made to be whole, to work perfectly, everything in its right place, working in its right way, got so messed up. So that just a couple of weeks ago, there are terrorist bombings in Paris. And every day there are terrorist bombings and other kinds of things in Syria and in Iraq and places like the Democratic Republic of Congo. And you can name dozens and dozens and dozens of places where unspeakable evil happens on a daily basis. How did that happen? So let's start with chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2. I'm reading 15 to 17, then jumping to chapter 3, okay? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then moving to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat fruit from, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden. Trees, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat, it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat fruit, eat from? The man said, the woman, you put her here with me. She gave me some fruit to eat. 
and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I I will make your pains in childbirth bearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has not become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We saw it in chapter Chapters one and two, we were introduced to the man and the woman. We were introduced to God and the man and the woman. And we saw the interactions between, we saw what God said to this man and to this woman. And it was beautiful. And now in chapter three, we're introduced to the serpent. And we know two things right from the beginning about this serpent. One that he's a created being. He was created by God. Now, the text just said he's a serpent, that the word used here, the hosta, Hebrew word, just means serpent, regular serpent. A created being, a wild animal. We're also told that this serpent was shrewd, he was crafty. And what we come to find out is that this serpent is kind of like the evil genius in the world trying to bring death and destruction everywhere he goes, everywhere in everything he touches. Now the text doesn't tell us, our text doesn't tell us that the serpent is actually Satan, but you can read elsewhere in the Bible that that's who this serpent becomes. In some way, the devil entered into or took over or became this serpent to wreak havoc on the human race and on all of creation. 
Ezekiel 28 tells us that Satan was an evil, was in Eden. We're told that in lots of passages that, that uh, uh, the serpent is connected with Satan. Revelation 12, 9, Revelation 20, verse 2, talk about the dragon, the serpent of all, who is the devil, and Satan. Ezekiel 28 also tells us that, that Satan, before the fall of humankind, before humankind rebelled against God, was an angel of the highest order. He was an angel of light. Some evil, some, you might even say he might have been the worship leader of the heavenly host. Isaiah 14 tells us that Satan's fall had to do with his desire to, be, to become God, to be equal or maybe even greater than God, to sort of push God off his throne, so to speak. So when the serpent, Satan the serpent is in his garden, he's putting before the woman and the man the same temptation to which he fell. You will be like God. The serpent tempts the man and the woman to reject God's rule. God created this perfect, beautiful universe with a perfect, beautiful order. And he upheld it with his, with his will and with his command. And, when, and it just worked. And what Satan wants to do, what the serpent does here, is he, he seduces, he deceives, he convinces the woman and man to tell God to shove off the throne. He tempts them to rebel against God. And all sin at its root is rebellion against God's rule. All sin is reserving the right to choose for ourselves what is good and right. All sin has to do with rebellion all sin has to do with choosing, making, giving ourselves the right or the authority to make moral decisions. And all sin eventually leads to destruction. Now, how does the serpent do this? He begins by rejecting God's authority. If you look at chapter two, Genesis chapter two, and through most of chapter three, 11 times in chapter two and eight times in chapter three, God is refer, referred to as the Lord God. He's referred to as the Lord, the one who's in control. But when Satan, the serpent, enters the scene, he says, did God really say? So right from the beginning, God is, uh, I'm sorry, Satan is trying to undermine God's authority before the woman. He's, trying to, he's, he's saying, I don't recognize and will, and will not call God sovereign. And the sad thing is, if you look at the text in Genesis 3, the woman buys in. She starts calling God, the Lord God, God. She already, from almost the very beginning, she starts to lose her sense of the hugeness, the magnitude, the beauty, the power, the majesty, the right authority of God. The language we use for God, for the Lord God, the language we use for him, 
affects how we think about him. And how we think about the Lord God affects how we relate to him. Language matters. It shapes us. Words matter. They bring stuff into being. So here's a question, first question. Is God the Lord God to you? When you refer to God, when you think about God, who is he to you? Is he the Lord God, the king, the master of the universe, the rightful king of the universe, the rightful king of your universe, your life? Second, the serpent attacks, he twists God's words, which, you know, God uses as kind of the the expression, the vehicle of his authority on earth. He raises doubts in the woman by challenging God's fundamental goodness. That's what he does. He's challenging God's goodness here. Did God really say don't eat from any tree in the garden? Of course God didn't say that. God created all of this. And you remember back from chapter two, you are free to eat from any tree except the one tree. Thousands, thousands, thousands of trees and other things good to eat. Only one thing that they're not supposed to eat. And Satan distorts all that. He twists all that. And a woman starts to buy in. Notice verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. The woman said this, we may eat fruit from the tree, from the trees in the garden. But she's omitted already. We may eat freely. And we may eat any. Her world's becoming smaller. She lets the devil make her worlds smaller so that she's already beginning to think of what she doesn't have, what rights she doesn't have, rather than all of what God has given her to freely enjoy. What Satan's trying to do is present God as stingy, as, as holding back. And Eve should have said, whoa, no way. God is so generous. But she doesn't. So here's question number two. How do you see God? Do you see God as good and generous? Good and generous all the time. Or do you think God is just kind of holding out on you? And then Satan continues by contradicting God's word. He says, do you remember verse, chapter two, verse 15, if you eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will certainly die. And the devil says, Satan says, you will not certainly die. Are you kidding? 
Are you really, are you, you're not going to die. What he's, what he's basically saying to the woman is this. Don't believe what God says. Don't trust him. Choose what you want to do. Don't let him intimidate you. And Satan's been playing that kind of game right from the beginning until today. God says stuff like, forgive those who hurt you, love your enemies. And the devil says, what? Don't be a fool. God says, give, be generous. And the Satan's, and devil says in our ear, no way. You worked hard for that money. You deserve it. God says, love others, serve others. Devil says, who made you their slave? Life's too short, man. Don't waste time on other people. You gotta look out for yourself. God says, be humble. And the devil says, yeah, right. Where does that ever get you? God says, be honest, don't cheat, do what's right. And the devil says, hey, it's a tough world out there. You got to do whatever gives you an edge. What's right is whatever helps you to win. Winning, that's what's right. God says, be sexually pure before marriage, be faithful to your spouse. And the devil says, are you kidding? In this world? Are you kidding? Who could do that? Who'd want to? Devil's been playing this game for a long time, contradicting God's word. So the question for us is question three. How do you respond to God's word? Do you receive it as a gift? And obey it, or do you question it and doubt it? Let me, side note here. God commands us. He gives us commandments. And he's always upfront about what the commandments will cost us. He wants us to know he's not kind of trying to take us down this path so, and, so without us knowing where, where we're going. He makes his commandments, he's clear about them, what they are and what they might cost. The devil, what the devil likes to do is to give us ideas, thoughts, things that contradict God's word and what he holds up is the kind of pleasure, if you will, will come from it, but he never tells you what it's going to cost you. He never tells you that. The devil feeds our addictions. God feeds our hearts. Finally, the devil, he questions God's character. 
He accuses God of being petty and selfish, of withholding some good blessing in order to guard his own position. So basically what he's saying is, God makes these commands because he doesn't want you to have what he has. Because God is insecure. God wants to hold on to his position. He's just an egotist who wants to sit on his throne. He doesn't care about you. He's holding out. And the woman hears that and she says, you know, that kind of makes sense to me now that I think about it. And she looks at the fruit and it looks good to her. And uh, it, uh, it just kind of catches her and she says, yeah, it'd be good to have what God has. I want his wisdom. In other words, I want to be God. And she takes and eats And she gives some to her husband who's with her and he takes and eats and suddenly, the, the, suddenly it just comes to them, wow, we're naked. And this is bad. And, and, and I'm gonna, for purposes of time, I'm gonna jump now. But the woman gets deceived because she wants to be deceived. The man gets deceived mostly, I think, because the text seems to imply that he... He listened to his wife instead of listening to God. He wasn't deceived. He just did what he did because his wife asked him to. He was listening to her. And sometimes even the people closest to us can ask us to do something or tempt us to do something that's bad for both of us. What the man did was not an act of love. It did not serve or help his wife in any way. What he should have done He stepped and said, no, don't do this. And he was passive. And he let it happen. And because he let it happen, all of creation spun into chaos. It just spun into chaos. Evil, death, destruction. And you can see it going on through the, as you continue in the text, if you did, you, if uh, you know about the readings for this week, so you see what happened to Adam and Eve. Chapter four, Cain, Adam and Eve's son, kills their other son, Abel. Cain has descendants. He has descendants named Lamech, Lamech, who um, just kind of spreads the destruction more widely, and he introduces polygamy into the world. The text begins with him saying, and, and Lamech took two wives. Then evil seems to spread throughout the whole world so much that God says, I'm going to send a flood. And almost the entire creation is destroyed. And then a new creation, in a sense, creation is kept and restored by God. Then you get to chapter 11 where the whole world is saying, you know, we're going to build a tower to make a name for ourselves so so that we're not scattered. So as a whole world, they're disobeying God. And you can, and the way it was then continues to this day. There's stuff happening in the world today that are mind-boggling in their evil and stupidity and destruction and horror. And the truth be told, if truth be told, in each of our hearts, in each of our minds, there are things that if they were put on the screen would make all of us more than cringe. Evil has been unleashed on the world. And it's been unleashed in us and through us 
all of us. So, we begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. How did he create? He, he spoke creation into being. And creation obeyed him. Let there be light, and there was light. Let the waters be gathered together into one place, and a dry land appear, and it was so. Everything God made came from the center of his character and reflects his glory. Part of his character, part of his Glory is seen in God's order of the universe. Everything fits. Everything makes sense. It has a purpose and a place. There are no accidents, no mistakes. There's an established rhythm and pattern. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Six days of work. And the seventh day is a day of rest, a Sabbath rest. There's a pattern, there's an order. God spoke creation into being and creation obeyed him. There's an authority structure in creation. God creates humanity, man and woman. He puts them in the garden. He creates the garden especially for them. In the center of that garden are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The two trees are about love. God calling us into fellowship with him and freedom, giving us the right and dignity to choose by establishing boundaries. There is no true freedom without boundaries, without choice. Now, what's the deal with this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I think it's just a tree, just like every other tree. The only difference is is that God says, don't eat from that one tree. The tree becomes a symbol of God's authority. And the question becomes, will the man and the woman respect that authority? Will they obey it? There are some things that God tells us not to explore, not to touch. Some paths God tells us don't go down. But we always have the right and the dignity to choose. But when we violate God's boundaries, We bring anarchy, we bring chaos, we bring evil, we bring destruction into our world. So God says, no, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat. From the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. God speaks, but what happens? For the first time, God speaks, but creation does not obey him. Man and woman rebel. 
They seek to know that which God says is not good for them to know. They choose to divorce themselves from God, from the God who made them, and take an independent path, a path of their own choosing. And each of us keeps repeating the story of our first forefathers. We listen to lies and we deceive ourselves. We rebel against God's good and just and gracious rule and try to live under our own authority. We reject God's commands and we do whatever seems right in our own eyes. And we reap the consequences of our choices. Alienation and brokenness and fear and shame and hurt and blame. Isolation, loneliness. God says, I have given you the universe to enjoy and to explore. Explore it, develop it, enjoy it but there are some things not good for you to know. Stay away from them, or you will surely die. The man, the first man and the first woman, they rebel against God and they reject his rule. They disdain God's provision. They disobey his command. And in doing so, they open the world to an evil and a death and destruction on, of an absolutely massive cataclysmic scale. Now, you would think that this is the end of the human race. The human race will be no more. That's the way the story, our story, should end. But God, in his infinite unfathomable, persevering love and mercy and grace and goodness chooses to write another ending. We saw some of that ending earlier this morning during our baptism. A new ending for each of us. And it's this new ending that we'll begin to talk more about next week. Let me pray first. Father, thank you. Thank you that you, thank you that you're good and you're good beyond our wildest dreams. Thank you that you're good and even our own evil and destruction do not deter you from loving us. Thank you that you're good and you do not give up. Thank you that we're here because you're good even when we're not, even though we're not. And thank you, Lord, because you're good. The goodness of creation is still available to us. And we can know and experience and express love and grace and mercy and humility and service to one another. Lord, it's all about you. It's all because of you that we can live. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.